Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel, according to Matthew. Jesus, again in reply, spoke to the chief priests and elders of the people in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He dispatched his servants to summon the invited guests to the feast, but they refused to come. A second time, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those invited, Behold, I have prepared my banquet. My calves and fattened cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the feast." Some ignored the invitation and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest laid hold of his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged and sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, The feast is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy to come. Go out, therefore, into the main roads and invite to the feast whomever you find. The servants went out into the streets and gathered all they found, bad and good alike, and the hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he saw a man there not dressed in a wedding garment, The king said to him, My friend, how is it that you came in here without a wedding garment? But he was reduced to silence. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind his hands and feet, and cast him into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Many are invited but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, you might know this is the third parable in a series of three parables that we've looked at in the last three successive weeks. Each time Jesus is presenting the parable to the chief priest and elders of the people. Now that's saying something that we want to keep in mind because that would be me and you here today, the religious people of his day. So this is, as all his parables, a very pointed parable, and the point is very sharp. It begins, as you recall, the reign of God. Now, I'd like to stop there for a moment and say 
what do you imagine is the reign of God? That's a concept we often used in the scriptures. Sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of God. But really, practically, what does that mean? I would suggest it could be translated to mean the presence of God or our experience of God. And then we could finish the sentence. So what might you liken your experience of God to be like? How would you describe the presence of God in your life? Jesus uses the richest experience of life. He talks about something that's often referred to in the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, and the early Christian writings, certainly in the New Testament. And that is the kingdom of God is compared to a banquet. Now, for Jesus to use this image tells us something about Jesus. Namely, he must have liked to eat a lot, as did the people of his day. Now, think about this, and we could even appreciate this image perhaps even more. Given the fact that Jesus' contemporaries were accustomed to long and hard work in a very brutally hot climate on very rough terrain in the worst of conditions with very few comforts, to imagine a royal, sumptuous banquet that was free where all their hungers would be filled would have seemed to them certainly to be like heaven, right? Consider, too, the fact that they would have had to work hard to prepare a simple meal. It would be like for us just to get water would be to go walking down to Fountain Square and back just for water. And then to have to prepare it over a fire that you prepare. And everything was so simple and the diet so bland, really, that to picture a banquet with the richest food that would fill every delight in you, they would have thought, yeah, we've died and gone to heaven. So Jesus is using this greatest image for the celebration of life, but not just life. Love, because this is not just a banquet, it is a wedding banquet. And not just a wedding banquet, a royal wedding banquet. The greatest of the greatest of celebrations of life and love. That's what Jesus compares the experience of God to be like. Now it's starting to make sense, doesn't it? That this is somehow what we're invited to have at least a foretaste of here and now, for remember, the kingdom of God isn't something that just happens after death. It begins right here on earth. And of course, we keep praying that the kingdom of God, that celebration of heaven, come down to earth. So we have, as we say, at least a foretaste of that. We're told then in the parable where the king gave this wedding banquet for his son. Keep that in mind because we will look at later who the son is. The king, of course, represents God, right? And he sends his servants to summon the invited guest. Now, who would you think are the invited guests? The Jewish people. who were the chosen people. The people who were first invited into this relationship with the Lord. Now, this parable 
here starts beginning to sound like last week's parable. Remember the parable of the vineyard where the king, representing God, sends out his servants in several groups of them, representing the prophets that were sent to the chosen people who rejected the invitation and were these servants were mistreated and sometimes killed. Once again, the theme is repeated, even as it's repeated in our own day and age. We're told some ignored the invitation and went their way, one to his farm, another to his business. What we have there, I think, is just an indication of the questionable excuses that we people come up to put God on the back burner or to ignore God or not respond to God. Think of all the reasons people give, for instance, for not coming to church on Sunday. Think of all the reasons we give for not praying more or reading or studying the scriptures, for not entering more deeply into the feast of this life that the Lord offers us. What these excuses tell the king is that somehow we're putting our business before his business. You understand? We're saying what they're doing is more important than the son, the king's son, which is, of course, Jesus. And so Matthew is retelling this parable Jesus would have told and now giving it a special interpretation. Or we imagine Matthew telling his church about this king who gives this feast in honor of his son, trying to explain why the gospel, which is the invitation, receives such mixed reaction and reception. The gospel invitation is continually given through God's servants, especially through Jesus himself, and now through his disciples. And the people you would expect, or that we might expect, to be most receptive in accepting of the invitation, namely the religious leaders and the religious people of the day, in fact, refused to participate fully in that life. And even in the case with Christ, they did him violence, killing him. Again, this is something we want to keep looking at ourselves, but this next line sounds a little violent even more. We're told, at this the king grew furious and sent his army to destroy those murderers and burn their city. Don't mess with the king. What in the world does this mean? Scholars interpret this line to be inserted later in the gospel parable, in the editing process that all the gospels went through. Namely, the first stage was when Jesus told it. Matthew retells it and adds his interpretive line that describes what you might imagine to be the destruction of Jerusalem, which represented the religious capital that the elders and the chief priests populated. And you would recall in the year 70 AD, the Roman army led by Titus came and destroyed the entire city and temple. So there wasn't a stone standing upon a stone and they burned the entire city, just as the line says. So another indication too, by the way, that Matthew's gospel was written later on about the year 85 is what the scholars suggest. Then again, in the parable, the king 
sends his invitation out. Now, you get to feel the insistence upon God that his invitation go far and wide. He says to his servant, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were unfit to come. That is why you must now go out into the byroads to invite to the wedding feast. Get this, anyone and everyone you come upon, the bad as well as the good. This is interesting to understand. The byroads I learned in my study referred to all the roads that went outside the city boundary. In other words, the king was telling his servants, go as far and as wide as you can to find anybody and everybody. Now, Matthew's community is hearing that in Jesus' instruction to his apostles to go out where? To the ends of the earth with the invitation of the gospel and the gospel to be that call of Christ to invite us to live in the kingdom, to feast on his life and love. Now, who are the people in the byroads then? who are far beyond what the original intention of those who were invited? The Gentile people. Exactly. And not only the Gentile people, but all those other people who were on the margins of the Jewish religious society, namely such people as tax collectors and sinners, whoever might fit into that category. We could appreciate this. The Jewish people who considered themselves a very religious people. In fact, the chosen people considered other people not part of the party. So that it was for Jesus to suggest that this invitation is going far and wide to everybody was completely revolutionary. Jesus was already beginning to open the doors of the church to anybody and everybody the bad as well as the good, so that we could never say, no matter how bad a person may seem to be, that they're unfit to come to Christ. And yet, this leads to the next point, that although they may come in bad, they can't stay that way. There are two parts to this parable, and the first part is this invitation and how it needs to go out far and wide. And the invitation, again, we understand to be the gospel. But the second part is what we now hear once they're inside the banquet hall. They were told that now that they've gone out far and wide to the invitation, the banquet hall was filled with banqueters. Imagine this is God's desire and dream that everyone would come to him. And then the king came in to meet the guest. However, he caught sight of a man not properly dressed for the wedding feast. My friend, he said, how is it you came in here not properly dressed? Interestingly, the man had nothing to say in his defense. So the king then said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him out into the night to wail and grind his teeth. Doesn't it seem a little puzzling? At least at first, like, don't you feel sorry for this poor guy? who, in fact, was dragged off the street. Hey, give the guy a break. He didn't even have time to go home to change his clothes. So what is this all about? 
and all our questions should lead us to search deeper for meaning, it's simply this. You might know by now that in the Bible, whenever the evangelist or the author would refer to clothing, which is very seldom, but when they do, it almost always has a symbolic meaning. That is to say, the outer garments represents the inner person. So this man, although he had accepted the invitation to come into the kingdom, did not fulfill the greater invitation to conversion, to a change of heart, to an interior transformation. Notice that all the other people who came off the byroads must have changed. He is alone singled out because he did not participate fully in the life and the love that was being shared. And the clothing was simply a sign of that. So we have then the concluding line, the invited are many, the elect are few. The whole point summarizes both parts of this parable, that God invites not only many, but all people into his kingdom, which begins here and now. The invitation of the gospel is going out now. And yet, the elect are few. Who are the elect? Those who select to really enter fully into this life of the church today, the life of Christ. I think the line that may summarize this parable in a beautiful way is a line from St. Augustine, who once said, God has many people that the church does not have. And the church has many people that God does not have. Truly today we have to say, the invitation of the Lord goes out to everyone to come to the feast that we celebrate in the life of the church when we celebrate our communion with Christ, the Son of God, whose life and love we feast on Sunday after Sunday, and whose very love is given to us in the richest way in the Eucharist. And yet, sadly, tragically, there are so many people who still refuse to come to receive this gift of God. In fact, do you know more than 60% of Christian population of this nation no longer comes regularly to church? Obviously, this parable is happening today. And we are being called to consider, I believe, extending the invitation, sharing the gospel, the good news, to remind people to come, even if it means that we have to go out of our way to reach out to our family, to bring God's love and life to them. It may mean that they may not come to church, then we've got to bring church to them. They may not read the Bible, so we need to take the message of the Bible to them. We are being invited to first feed ourselves 
with this greatest food of the Word of God and the communion we receive in the Holy Eucharist so that at every Mass we have the best of both worlds, the Word of God and the Son of God that feed us in every good way. And we are called then to take that to others. Every week when I look at the gospel, in a particular aspect of going out into the highways and byways and bringing in people who appreciate the invitation. And sometimes we who grow up in church tend to take for granted the great gift of God. I often think how many of us take for granted the gift of the Eucharist. Is Jesus being really fully present to us? The gift of the sacred scripture is God actually speaking to us. This is the banquet of the Lord that is being prepared and offered to every single one of us. I suspect, uh, in fact, I know I'm in a way talking to the choir, and yet even we be reminded because we could be like that one man who accepted the invitation but did not change, that did not put on a new inner self, that did not undergo. You know, this garment of the wedding garment is interpreted by some scholars to be the baptismal garment of putting on Christ, putting on his humility, his compassion, his kindness, his love. That's what we're being invited to do. But I was thinking more for what we are trying to be about here. The same Lord who spoke this parable and offered his life, it is that same Lord who's feeding and coming to us as we open the gospel and open ourselves to receive this invitation. We recall and remind ourselves every time we come here, we've accepted the invitation to the wedding feast, the banquet hall. But I believe, too, we are being sent out. You know, there's two words that summarize the beginning and end of the gospel, they say. The first is come, recalling the words of the, the parable, come to the feast, come. But the last word that we speak at Mass and the last word Jesus spoke to his disciples is go. Go, that you could invite others to come. So that continually we're coming and going in the name of the Lord. So I would like to offer this invitation to you, that you could go and extend the invitation to those whom you love and know, among your family and friends, the people with whom you work and come into contact, that you would keep extending the invitation to come to church with you. So much of our family is missing. Now, again, all we can do is extend the invitation. There's a big difference between inviting and imposing. We should never impose. Jesus never forced his message on anybody. I think it has a counterproductive reaction. If we're force-fed anything, we end up throwing it up and throwing it out. Sorry to use such graphic language. But you can't force, you can't force feed faith. You can only prepare the meal and set it before them. But in any way that we can, I think we need to extend that invitation. I'd like to end by simply saying, I believe 
the greatest thing about this whole parable is think of the great image Jesus used. He took the grandest and greatest image for life and the most intimate and passionate image for love, a wedding feast. And he says, that's what God's life is all about. And we're invited to experience for ourselves and to share with one another. This truly is good news that we can't afford to keep to ourselves. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.